Christmas and welcome back to Psychocinematic, the podcast where we analyse depictions of mental illness and disability in film and TV. Before we start, a short disclaimer. While I am a practising psychologist, this podcast is not designed to be therapeutic, prescriptive or constitute a formal diagnosis for any listener, nor the characters we are talking about. I'm not representative of all psychologists and my opinion is just that, one opinion. Also, while I do have a little bit of lived experience of anxiety and depression, for the most part, I'm only commenting on my understanding of illnesses, symptoms and disabilities based on what I've learnt and read. Myself and my co-hosts in no way feel we have the final say on any character portrayal. We may get it wrong, and I invite you to let us know if we do. It's my intention to start discussions with this podcast and for it to evolve over time. So please give us any feedback you have. And now on with the show. I, of course, am your host, Stephanie Fornasia. Michael Watson, my usual co-host, is sadly Christmas shopping today. Bless his heart. But instead, we have a wonderful guest co-host today, who also happens to be my sister, and her name is Marie-Claire Fornasia, or as she prefers to be called, Maz. Welcome, Maz. Hello. Very excited to be here. Thanks for coming. Do you want to tell us a little bit about you know, what you've been up to, what your background is? Currently I'm working in retail. Hello. <laughs> um, I do have two degrees. I have a communications degree majoring in PR and an arts degree majoring in history and sociology and a very large lover of film. I oh, um, yeah. spend a lot of my time just watching lots of shows and a lover of mental illnesses. <laughs> a lover of My mental, mental illness. Um, <laughs> so some lived experience. Of some lived experience, some anxiety, a bit of depression. I've got ADHD, um, not necessarily a mental illness, but... Uh, it is, I think it is classified as a mental disorder. Okay. Yeah. Um, neuro, I'm neurodiverse. I'm a neurodiverse queen. Some history of addiction, you know, spice it up. So been to a lot of psychologists. Mm. Love talking about my problems. <laughs> but today um, we'll not be doing that with you <laughs> I'm sorry because today we're actually here to talk about as a little Christmas bonus Christmas gift <laughs> Christmas gift to you from us uh love actually love actually the 2003 classic Christmas movie mm. which isn't like specifically about Christmas no but it's just been oh loved by all everyone knows love actually everyone has so much to say about it just like doing research for this there are so many articles like hundreds thousands just dissecting every single part there's articles about every time a turtleneck is in the scene um ranking turtlenecks right from best to worst <laughs> there are 27 turtlenecks apparently um shout out to russell for pointing that out to me um so Love Actually or 27 Turtlenecks. Hello. Wow. I actually went to a comedy show during the Melbourne Comedy Festival, which was literally taking apart the movie Love Actually. Yeah. I will, I will remember what it was called and I'll link it. <laughs> but it, it was very funny. Watching it again is very funny because it's just terrible. Like, I, I understand why people love this movie so much, but it's just a pile of shit. Why do you think people do love it so much? It's a pre-GFC special time movie. It's British. People love Britain. It's got a lot of uh, really good actors in it. It's funny. Star-studded. Same guy who directed... Four Weddings and a Funeral. Yeah, and wrote the screenplay for, like, Bridget Jones' Diary. So it actually is funny. Like, it is funny. For me, like, the the 
the number one Christmas movie is Home Alone, mm. which is like similar, like in wholesomeness. And it's well, I guess it's like a Christmas movie for adults as well, yeah. and they're usually centered around children. So, so like, how can we how can we summarize the plot of this movie? Okay, well, <laughs> the main character isn't anyone. Um, <laughs> I was reading an article about all the characters and how they intersect with each other, and Laura Linney actually intersects with. The most people. Oh, there you go. She's the most present in the movie and talks the most amount of characters. So, Queen Laura. But we start. I don't even know where we start. We start. We start with Hugh Grant actually talking about Um, the airport and talking about 9/11, which is really interesting because it only happened like two years, a year previous, if anything, when when like production started. That was uh, risky. Risk. Well, yeah, but I think maybe. At the time, maybe people liked it because, like, he's talking about how love is all around and when um, the Twin Towers went down, people were calling their loved ones. They weren't being angry at each other or whatever. That's the only focus on 9-11. Yeah, so it's I so strange. I think it's just after. a throw. And I guess at the end it's about airports and arrivals. I don't know. The, the heartwarming airport thing maybe came into it and they're like, oh, yeah, let's just throw 9-11 in there. Cool. Just so we look like we're relevant. Yeah, and people will be like, oh my god, 9-11 just happened. <laughs> but uh, I was reading an article, Hugh Grant doesn't know why Love Actually is still so popular. He said that, and Kira Knightley's only seen it once, so. <laughs> Maybe because she hates her character. Probably. She's so annoying. She was only 17. And the little boy. He's 13. Is, they're only four years apart. I hate that kid. <laughs> so we'll much. Get to him. Recap. A lot of different people doing lots of different things. Around Christmas time. Around Christmas. Kira Knightley's getting married to her beau. Her husband. <laughs> but his best friend's in love with her. Hugh Grant's a prime minister. He wants to have sex with his assistant. So he fires her. So he fires her. <laughs> and then knocks on everyone's door. Oh, no. Um, Colin Firth moves to France and is in love with his maid. And they neither of them speak, speak the other's language. language. And it's just... It's love. perfect. It's love, actually. Emma Thompson, Queen Emma Thompson's husband is cheating on her. Are we seeing a theme here? <laughs> Bad, like men just doing gross things to yeah, women. I think so. That's literally what it's about. And then there's the guy who just wants to bang a bunch of Oh, American my God. Chicks. Just, like, delete like, him from the plot. Why plot. is he in this movie? <laughs> hate him so much. What else happens? Um, the guy from The Office... I kind of like that plot line, actually, yeah. with his... I don't know what her her name is. They just... Uh, two porn... Well, um, they're actually stand-ins. Yeah, porn yeah. extras. But to porn... Like, do they have extras in porn? I don't know, whatever. Oh, of course they do. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. They fall in love. That's that's that. I like that. Keep that. Don't delete that. Liam Neeson has lost his wife. The freaky kid from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is his stepson. They're having a hard time. And he's in love with Joanna. He's... <laughs> Joanna. <laughs> And Alan Rickman is really invested in Laura Linney's sex life. Laura Linney has a mentally ill brother. Yes. And Alan Rickman is Laura Linney's boss, yes. just to be clear. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> That's, is that yeah. all of the characters? I like my Bill Nye. Oh, yeah. Is. He's just released a song for Christmas and he's like a washed up rock star. Yeah, ex heroin addict, he says. He loves his manager. Oh, there's some stuff to say about drug use in that yeah too. but we won't get to all of no. it we'll, we'll touch on some of and it. january jones oh yeah is hot <laughs> that's her plot she's not yeah just be hot january jones she like oh, they, this movie did her dirty as they like to say <laughs> she redeemed herself in Mad Men though oh my god 
I think that's everyone. Yeah, yeah, at the end, they all are at the same airport. The end. <laughs> and they all, for some reason, are really invested in going to this Christmas show. Um, oh, yeah. What's his name? The guy from The Office. Um, uh, Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman. Yeah. He doesn't really, I don't think he has a connection with any other characters except for being at the, at the show. At the show at the yeah, end. Yeah, that's and true. And he, I don't know why he's there. <laughs> maybe, maybe someone works on the porn film. Oh, probably. Okay. Who cares? I, yeah, I want to talk about Laura Linney, obviously, but we'll, that's the probably the most serious one. So we'll... Because we'll, it's like the only known depiction of mental illness. Yeah. So we'll, we'll leave that one last, I reckon. Because I've got a lot to say. <laughs> because yeah, everyone has talked about this, literally everyone in the whole entire world, but let's just talk about the stalking. Yes. For one moment. Not so much um, mental illness, not a mental illness, um, but also would like to acknowledge the psychological effects on the victim of the yeah. stalking. Kieran Knightley probably doesn't feel great at the moment. Kieran Knightley, I mean the, the character. The character. <laughs> what is even her name? I don't know. So, <laughs> so going back to the plot, they get married. Kieran Knightley and um, I've forgotten his. I can't say his last name very well. Tuatel, Ifedor. Ifedor. Chiwetel Ifedor. And I don't think that's how you say it, but... <laughs> I'm really Chiwetel. sorry. Chiwetel. I'm extremely sorry if I got that wrong. Chiwetel. They get married. His best man, who's, like, supposed to really dislike Kira Knightley's Yeah, he doesn't like to talk to her. But he's, like, filming her at the wedding. Oh, my God. What else happens? Like... He's filming her at the wedding a lot, and Laura Linney asks if... He's in love with his best friend. And he says, no, ew. No way. Because, oh, my God, homophobia. It's um, actually an important part, too. There's, like, no gay characters. No, not gay. one. It's, like, you're in, like, it's, like, in 2003 It in should London. be called heterosexual love, yeah, actually. Truly. And a couple of characters of colour, which is fine. But not a huge amount. But um, the Prime Minister's assistant, who is black, um, is... Fat James Natalie, so we yeah, great, good for that, love that. Kira Knightley calls up her stalker, um, asking if she has any footage because it's oh she's come out terribly. Oh no, I need some pretty shots of me. And he says no, Kira, just me in a pretty dress, and that's all I. That's want. all I want. Thank, thank you. Um, and he says no, I can't find it. Oh no, it's not very good. So then um, she just like comes to his house with, like, Banoffee pie, whatever, Banoffee pie. Banoffee pie. Um, it's actually a really good pie. Well, she's like, oh, it's terrible, but here you go. And he's like, no thanks. And she's like, thank God. So I don't really get that. <laughs> um, and she's like, yeah, let's look for it. And then just finds the tape uh, on his table just, like, out in the kitchen. So <laughs> that says to me he's been watching it recently. So, how like, how often is he just, like, watching back know, like, I've footage taken... of her? That's um, fucking creepy. I've taken a note here. The video is just out on the table inferring he's been watching it. He wasn't even going to give it to her or her husband. It's just for his own pleasure. Is he sitting at home jacking off to it every night? That's my clinical <laughs> <laughs> analysis of that. Ew. And it's just shots of her and it is um, very invasive to me uh, because he's literally not filming anyone else. We don't know uh -huh. if... He wasn't the only filmographer for the wedding. It seems like. Well, she had the other one, but it was shit. Um, she got him But, like, how often is he doing this as well? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. She's like, oh, it's only of me. What the fuck? Uh, you don't talk to me. And then he says, it's a self-preservation thing, you see? And then Dino plays. I don't know what that means. I think he's, like, trying to, like, preserve 
himself. <laughs> That's what that means. Does he mean like he was trying to not talk to her because he was in love with her and he was trying to trying I, to not I think so. get caught up? I think so. Maybe he's just self-conscious. But yeah, it's... Look, this is in a lot of movies, I guess, men acting weirdly towards women and us just accepting it. But I think it is um, in, a bit insidious um, mm-hmm. to be presented in media and teaches men not how to, like, how to act not very good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also gives the audience the false idea that to love someone is to be obsessed with them and stalk them. I think it's also the... I don't know if you had notes on this already, but... When he goes to her house and shows the placards. Oh, my God. Like, he's, he should have just, like, apologised and left it well, at that, I think. Well, he could have just called her up on the phone and be like, hey, Kira, I'm so sorry, I'm really weird. Instead of, like, that whole weird... Because she's, she's clearly marrying his best friend. She's in love with his best friend. Mm. But then he, like, does the cute placards to show, like, I'm going to be... This is our secret little thing where mm. I'm actually obsessed with you. And to me, you are perfect. Which is also, like, fuck off. We have flaws. All women have flaws. Well, yeah, she's not perfect. She's 17. She's like, really annoying. She's not even 18 yet. Like. But, like, that's really invasive to me and just real shit behaviour. Yeah, and puts her in a really horrible position now because she's like, oh, fuck. Because if she was to tell her husband, he'd be like, um, cool. Like, they have to hang out with each other. Yeah, and at the end, uh-huh. at the airport, he's with them, like, everything. Okay, but then after that whole, like, plaque, like poster scene of him saying, I love you, he's walking away and says, okay, enough now. It's like, okay, cool, he's not a stalker <laughs> anymore. Like That's how, that's how you, you cure it. Yeah. But in the movie, we're supposed to be kind of rooting for it. Of course. We? And That's even, problematic. even the actor um, reading the script was like, this guy seems like a stalker. And the director was like, nah, you're good, mate. So did you look up any stuff yes. on stalking? Because I guess it's not a mental illness, but it's a, it's definitely a, a uh, trait. It's a, it's, a, it's a behavior, not a mental disorder, but it is a behavior that infers, well, can possibly some, infer some mental, some mental ill health problem. Yeah. <laughs> Intimacy seekers is a type of stalker, um, which is to seek to establish a loving, intimate relationship with their victim, often believing the victim is a long sought after soulmate and meant to be together, which, like, ticks that box. Mm. And there is erotomania, which is a delusional disorder where people believe the other person is infatuated with them. Mm. He's... I don't think he thinks she's infatuated with him, but we don't know. Yeah. But on the representation in media, Mm. a paper by University of Michigan psychologist Julia R. Lippmann um, did a study titled, I did it because I never stopped loving you. I like that. Yeah. She had her participants watch one of two types of movies, either one which the stalking behavior was presented in a romantic light, as in love actually, and there's something about Mary, or one like Sleeping with the Enemy where stalkers are plainly presented as what they are, scary. Mm. Um, And she found that participants who watched the latter type of film were much more likely to have fewer stalking supported beliefs so like the sleeping with enemy yes yeah so basically if you're presented to more media that says or shows that stalking is romantic the audience is going to have a more positive view of that and i think love actually is pretty um guilty of doing that because say if you're a little you know if you're young and impressionable you're going to think that's what romance is just filming people really closely and watching it in your home and masturbating it is so common for women to have experiences where a guy just won't leave you alone when you've said no and they just keep messaging calling hammer you know at you like 
still stalking basically yeah. like disrespecting your yeah. your personal space and your wishes that is so common and it's i reckon it's films films like this are definitely for some of that at least and it normalizes it especially ones which are so beloved and all about lo- all about love like it's in the fucking title love actually <laughs> yeah it's just uh Irresponsible. Irresponsible. It's irresponsible. (laughs) Irresponsible. Irresponsible filmmaking. But obviously this film wasn't written as a, you know, to make many comments on things. It was just to make you feel good. Yeah, but it's become this, like, cultural icon. Totally. Help. I agree with everything you've said, Maz. Thank you. Second thing I'd like to touch on, which has a lot to do with mental illness, I think, is Liam Neeson and his... Gross-looking stepson. <laughs> also, one sec. Sorry, gonna say, Kira Knightley in the scene where she goes over to a stalker's house, is wearing a hat, which um, is funny, and it was to cover a pimple. <laughs> That's all. And I've always remembered that hat. Always remember that hat. Can never forget the hat. So Liam Neeson's wife dies, and he has this creepy stepson who's actually not creepy. Just looks creepy. Um, <laughs> he is creepy. <laughs> they're both going through a lot of grief. Will say actually Emma Thompson, who is Liam Neeson's ex first wife or sister. Oh really? I thought no, she was no, just first wife, yeah. Or best friend? Just a friend, just someone. She seems to know him pretty well anyway. She comes over, Liam Neeson's crying, he's very upset because his wife literally just died, and um, Emma Thompson tells him to stop crying, stop being a sissy because no one's gonna want to fuck him. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> so glad you brought this up. It's like Dude. Oh, here it is. Here's the quote. Get a grip. People hate sissies. No one's going to shag you if you cry all the time. And during this same conversation, Liam Neeson and Emma Thompson talk about the, the creepy boy and keep saying he's a heroin addict because he's spending a lot of time in his room. I, I feel like that was like a joke. It's <laughs> also bad. I know it's a joke. <laughs> but it's like, no, I think maybe his mother just died. Like, shut the- Anyway, Emma Thompson, love you, icon, queen. But like, come on. Maybe be a little bit more normalizing of grief. Yeah, and, and like, crying is normal. Liam Neeson's crying. This feeling. big, like, muscular, masculine man is crying. That's wonderful. We love to see that. But she's like, stop it. And like, he doesn't have to get back on the wagon. No, like, ha- look, the funeral. He doesn't want to. Presumably, just happened. Creepy boy. He's been having a hard time. He's spending a lot of time in his room. Liam Neeson sits down. He's like, let's chat. What's up, baby? Which is really sweet. He just wants to talk to him. And he's like, actually, you know, I'm not really sad mom's dead. I'm really sad because I'm in love. <laughs> and Liam Neeson's like, oh, my God. I get it now. You're in love. <laughs> um, and, like, how old is he supposed to be in the movie? Like, he's, 10? I, like, he's actually 13, but he looks like 6. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, it's kind of this weird thing because it's like Liam Neeson kind of like getting into it with the little boy and just like, I don't know, like talking to him a lot about his emotions and being like, you know, really involved. It seems to me like a really good thing. And like they watch Titanic together. Yeah, they're spending a lot of time together, you know. Um, Can I just say though, if I died (laughs) and my son Casper said to my husband Michael... Yeah, I'm a bit sad mum's dead, but actually I'm in love. <laughs> I'd be from heaven or hell or wherever being like, fuck you, yeah, I'm dead. <laughs> what about me? You should only be worried that I'm dead right now. You should only be sad. That's true, and I think that's totally fair. As as a mother, <laughs> like, I would be distraught. Yeah. From I would be, ether. like, if I was a psychologist counselling this little boy, I'd be like, 
you are transferring your grief onto like being in love with yeah. your classmate. You don't actually know what being in love is. is oh like my god! Mate. Of you're, course you're not. Five. Well, he's not. <laughs> and I'd be saying to Liam Neeson, I think you need to please don't encourage. Maybe not encourage this getting with. So a yeah, girl. is your opinion as a psychologist? If you were presented with this situation, what would you suggest they do? I would, like, talk him through this this love he has for his classmate. But I'd also be like, you know, what would mum say about that? Like, you know, talk through in the context of his mum dying, but not necessarily be like, you need to be sad about this Mm -mm 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 -mm. because everyone processes grief in their own ways. But this could also be him kind of processing his grief because... You know, the love you feel for a parent is is a very special, strong love, usually. Mm-hmm. And for him to transfer this love onto a classmate might be a way of processing it. And that's totally fine. But I think trying to get her might not be... No. Eh, I don't know. It was a nice way for them to bond together. It was a very nice way. It was very sweet. And I liked seeing Liam Neeson being, like, really good friends with this kid. I don't like how happy he is, though. Liam Neeson? No, the the boy. boy. I just don't like him in general. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I had a lot of experience this year with uh, transference of comfort. Um, People in my life transferring romantic feelings onto different people mm-hmm. and um i can tell you 10 out of 10 not not a great outcome <laughs> um and i'm not sure how a, a little boy would deal with that either um can you kind of so just explain transference of comfort again to our listeners well know what it is. from my experience people who come out of relationships whether that be with a parent or <laughs> well who lose Someone lose, lose someone yeah. when they're at the end of a relationship yeah, or death. Or. Who you receive a lot of comfort from. Once that person is gone from your life, basically transferring those feelings onto a different person and all that emotion that you had kind of turns onto someone else. It's not a very healthy way to deal with things because the person you're transferring the feelings onto might not be... Might uh, not reciprocate Might them. not reciprocate them or really know what's going on. That's and a lot for that person to take on. It is. And also kind of at the end of the day means you're not dealing with your own feelings you're just you're not spending the time working on your feelings or your emotions yeah you're you're just moving them doesn't necessarily mean you're addressing them i think it can be a safety net though like yeah of course lost someone especially if it's quite sudden it might be like a protective thing to do that at least initially but if that's where it goes and that's the end then Mm. that can be really difficult to Imagine like like this weird freaky kid, he grows up and he's like, oh my God, I'd never process my mother's death because I was in love with Joanna. And like, she's a great singer, like give her that. But like, does she love me? I don't know. But he does take up drumming, which seems like a good- That is a good- Good hobby to to focus on. Yeah, I don't know if uh, Liam Neeson should have really encouraged him to like go after her her in the airport. Oh my God, the airport. She's the the one. Okay, so at the start of the movie, Hugh Grant talks about 9-11, like it's in our minds. And then at the end of the movie, a little boy just like runs through customs, runs <laughs> through the entire airport and doesn't get shot. <laughs> and he looks I mean, like he a freak. He's a child, but. But like, I don't even know. Like they probably should. definitely not be able to do no. that. No. And then like Joanna can, like they hold up the plane for Joanna to come <laughs> out and like give. Just to give him a kiss. Yeah. For God's sake. And um, also Liam Neeson talks about the only person he'll date now is if it's Claudia Schiffer and then he talks about like shagging her in um the little kid's room so that's a bit weird yeah 
<laughs> they were weird. You're 50 50 on that basically. one. <laughs> like, yeah. stepdad, he's super close to that kid. Yeah, but at the end, he calls him dad. Aww. And then it kind of at the like also at the end, Joanna and the freaky kid get their kiss, and it's kind of like, oh my god, I'm not, I'm fine now. I'm I like, think, um, yeah, his, his grief is done. Yeah, over. Another harmful trope of um, if you're grieving, just fall in love and then you'll be yeah. No, 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 no. Nah. I can tell you this from my experience this year if you are grieving anything, just dealing with that emotion has worked out really well for me. It's, it's not easy though. Is it's it? terrible. It's, it's really, really hard. But um, I, I'm, I'm, oh my god, I'm such a queen now. You know. <laughs> I do think um, I, I did see that. I haven't watched it, but in the reunion. Oh my actually, god! Apparently, oh, what happens with them? Apparently, they stay. They are together in the future. Well, that's not healthy. And that, like, there's a scene where he tells his dad that they're going to get married. So he's he's hasn't dealt with his grief this whole time. Yeah, he, and he never. And also, okay, so Joanna who he's in love with, also has the same name as his mother who Ex- just died. Exactly. Like, so, is that Richard Curtis trying to be like, see what's happening? He's transferring yeah, like, Is he, like, making a comment? Probably not. <laughs> or it's probably some schmaltzy thing, like, the spirit of his mum is in this little girl. Oh, my God. So now he's going to marry his And mom. so they're going to, yeah, they're going to get married. And then Joanna, young Joanna, is just going to be like, oh, my God. This young child actor who's now my husband just wants <laughs> to be his mum. Issues and now I have to deal with them as his Yeah. Mom. It's not Joanna's responsibility, Richard Curtis. Is his name right? Yeah. Yeah, cool. I love that um Hugh Grant as the Prime Minister of uh, England yeah. watches Parkinson. <laughs> I, I, I wish Trump watched Parkinson. Would that we be great? know that Trump doesn't watch anything like Parkinson. Oh, I wish he did. Oh, Parky. He's problematic too, though, right? Is that cancelled? Ah, oh, probably. Oh, well, Who in, the, in that clip, he's a bit problematic. Oh, my God, <laughs> yes. Like, Bill Nye, like, shows him his dick and he's like, oh, it's not big enough or something. Also, just want to say that Alan Rickman says guacamole instead of guacamole. That's it. <laughs> And his blonde hair. Ugh. Yeah, he didn't look good as a blonde. I don't know what his natural hair colour is, though. Maybe that is I'm just it. used to Snape, so I guess maybe. <laughs> well, you you grew up when Alan Rickman was Snape. You, don't, you didn't grow up when he was other characters. Who else was he? He was in Dogma. <laughs> that was my first experience. <laughs> with, with the vagina. With no penis. With, oh, wait, does he have a vagina? or just No, like he a, just has, like, nothing. Yeah, that was probably my first um, exposure to him. Because um, I've been watching Dogma since I was, like, four, apparently. <laughs> It was always on TV. It was actually, wasn't it? <laughs> I watched it like every weekend. It was on Fox, Foxtel. Yeah, wasn't it? and Alanis yeah. Morissette would come out and she'd be all smiley and like weird. Oh, miss her. Good She's maybe. still alive. She's not dead. Maybe we'll do Dogma one day. Anyway. Religion. <laughs> Religion. Was there any, anything else? I don't think so. I think that's, I've covered quite a bit with them. Well, let's get into the actual shit. No, this is all important <laughs> shit, but I really want to talk about Laura Lenning's plot line mm-hmm. with her brother. So, basically, she's got this crush on this dude at her work, um, Carl. 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 <laughs> He's really hard to, like. And her very nosy boss oh my God. is like, oh, we all know you're in love with Carl. Go and 
Go um, and fuck Go him. and shag him for all our sakes. We don't see Alan Rickman do any other work while yeah, he's at work. He's just a jerk the but whole time. The only work he does at work is telling Laura Linney to have sex have with sex. Carl. <laughs> like, he schedules a meeting to ask Laura Linney, how long have you worked here? And she just knows the amount of seconds. Wait, um, two years, seven months, three days, and I suppose, what, two hours? And then... Um, how long have you been in love with Carl for? Uh, two years, seven months, three days, and I suppose an hour and 30 minutes. Wait, what's the difference? Maybe, maybe she's got something pro- so she, typical there. She fell in love with Carl half an hour after she started working there. Another <laughs> problematic thing about love right yeah. there. But, yeah, does she have, like, a genius-level memory? That's my question. But she, you know, doesn't have the guts to, like, say anything to him. And then at the Christmas party... They start dancing and then they go home and they're about to, like, get it on. It's actually quite a sexy scene. It is. It is. And then and that guy's just very hot. And then her brother calls and it's been, like, a, a thing throughout the movie that she's always on the phone to her brother. Babe. And she gets, like, shit for it from her boss too, which yeah. is just, like, yeah. does she even know why she's on the phone? He just wants her to have sex with Carl. <laughs> Stop talking <laughs> yeah. to your brother. Have Stop sex. Um, and then she goes to see her brother who needs her help and it sounds like he's having um maybe some suicidal ideation and he's in an institution and then she talks to him and that's kind of the end of it is that she doesn't have sex with Carl that's the end they don't have sex again I don't know why they can't have sex again after this like like if Carl is that kind of person where like if sex is interrupted once he doesn't want to borrow it then she deserves better I don't think I don't think Carl's like that though I reckon I don't see it like that. He seems he seemed pretty into her. Yeah, and he was like, oh my god, I just want better for him and her. <laughs> I just think he was written in a way that doesn't match his true personality. Like, I know Carl, you know. You I know Carl. I know Carl in my heart, and he's not like that. I want to just go through the criteria. Yes, the actual podcast. So, firstly, the question, I guess, in general, is it portrayed, or is anything in this movie portrayed by someone with lived experience of mental illness? I couldn't find anything um the guy who plays his her brother who i assume has some sort of psychotic condition maybe schizophrenia the way they describe him um couldn't find anything on him his name's michael fitzgerald hasn't done much Mm. um and then laura linney i I did get to a youtube clip of her on graham norton uh which was called why love actually was so personal for laura linney (laughs) i got so excited like here we go and it was just that she and her co-star had been dumped and were both very sad. Mm. So when they got to kiss, it, like, cheered them up a little bit. Oh, my God. Imagine oh, the sexual energy. Yeah, oh. pretty- yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, nothing. And I, I was thinking just watching it, it's like it's another case of the director not knowing much about mental illness or no. institutions and just being a plot device as to, you know, yeah. unrequited love. But apparently Richard Curtis's sister died by suicide semi recently in the last five years uh, like now yeah like it i think this article that i read was okay like 2017. so she may have been not well uh well apparently she'd been battling with mental health issues for like the last 25 years <gasps> oh my god so is and richard just, curtis laura linney in the movie I don't know. is that why she talks to Maybe. so many people sorry but there's also have you seen the movie about time no it's got a little bit of a mental illness sister plot in it too so maybe that Mm. was inspired by his real life experience but given that he does have a Mm. little bit of lived experience in terms of its accuracy and tropes not good so can you tell me stephanie if someone's in an institution how often are they they allowed to uh make phone calls (laughs) 
Well, it depends. <laughs> in Australia, it depends on what level of um, severity you are, basically. And at a certain level, they probably would take your phone off you. Mm-hmm. Given that in the case in the movie, it seems quite severe, I doubt they would let him have a phone on mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. It depends on, on the situation. It's also course. 2003. Like, smartphone phones aren't really a thing. Like, he probably wouldn't have a mobile. He could have been just calling from the room. Yeah. But like, what... Like, an institution definitely would be like, you can only call your sister at a certain time. Mm. Also, if you have a problem, for example, if you're suicidal... Talk to us about Talk to us. Yeah. <laughs> like, there should be orderlies there who are actively yeah. stopping him from whatever it is he might be doing mm. and talking to him. They should be calling Laura Linney, not yeah. the brother. <laughs> yeah. And also, if, she, if he's calling her during work, he is interrupting her, like, impeding on her life. Yeah. So... As an institution, they should be cognizant of the fact that their patient is causing someone else like, a problem. Yeah. You know? they, it, it would definitely be managed yeah. much better than it has. No. Because um, they were happy for her to go in there, so it's not like it's, like, maximum mm. security, although there was someone watching him. Yeah, but he, like, he was just kind of, like, standing back and being like, hey. So if they're monitoring pretty frequently, then they would be preventing him from doing what? Yeah, yeah. All that phone calling. So in terms of accuracy, in terms of the institution, so bad. Mm. I also find, like, the way he's kind of portrayed with some sort of schizophrenia or psychosis, like, on the phone. Yeah. I'm not quite sure it's going to be possible to get the Pope on the phone tonight. It's just, uh... John Bovey. John Bovey. (laughs) She says something about John Bon Jovi, like, being good at exorcism as well. (laughs) Like, it's all very silly. It's all played for laughs. Yeah. It's not there to be, make, or just be accurate at all. It's just been like, oh, my God, this guy, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, we're supposed to think, oh, my God, what a burden on her life. Yeah, yeah. And also, the brother is basically, he's a cock block. He's there to stop Laura Linney having sex. Exactly. And... Why? Like, <laughs> well, like, I guess moving on in terms of stereotypes, mm. there's a stereotype of people with mental illness just being like a burden mm-hmm. and preventing you from doing what you want to do, like getting in the way of your family member's happiness, mm-hmm. which is so problematic. It is the worst. It is the worst. Um, Especially mental illness that is like, severe. severe. Yeah. Like, that. You know, once you become an actual burden, it's like, oh, my God, you're bad. But. And then, you know, there's also already that um, stereotype of people with severe mental illness being a, a burden on the system, mm. the, the public health system. So yeah. he's, he ticks all those bo- yeah. boxes. In this he's, he's, well, he's too much for the institution to handle, so he has to call his sister every half an hour. Yeah. Like, calls her. Then they start, like, getting back into having sex. Laura Lenny still has her shoes on, so... <laughs> That's just, she's already out. The it's door. already inaccurate there. And then calls her back like two minutes later. So he's just, like constantly calling her. Also, like between the two phone calls, like things escalate very quickly for him. Yeah. He's like, yeah, Pope, Pope, Pope. And then hangs up and then's like, okay, you need to come. I'm yeah. Gonna, like, I'm like going to do something to yeah. myself. Yeah. And she also says, he's not well. Yeah. I don't know what that just was. And what does Hot Boy say? <laughs> Carl, Carl. After the first phone call, once she still has her shoes on, um, he, call, he calls again, the phone's ringing, and he says, will it help him? Um, and she says no. And he says, don't answer it. And she just answers it anyway. What do you think about that? I think it's it's very, like, minimising, you know, why you would answer the phone to your brother. Yeah. Like, does it help him? No. Well, don't answer it. Like, maybe... It's still good to 
communicate with a family member? Like it's going to change her whole behavior if he asks her that question and she says no and then she's like, oh my God, I'm never answering the phone again. Yeah. Like, of course keep... she's going to answer the yeah. phone. You know, there probably needs to be a bigger conversation between them. But that's also what shits me about this movie. She has a brother with a severe mental illness and apparently no one knows about it. Yeah. And Why? No, no one at work is knows about it seems because they're always giving her shit for like answering the phone but if they knew that I don't know I would assume if they knew that he actually was not well in quotes and I think she says to Carl like we don't have any family here yeah I'm his support yeah and she seems like she's very alone well she actually has a lot of friends because she knows everyone in the movie (laughs) doesn't seem like she's getting much support from anyone else including the institution because they're obviously bloody shit yeah it wouldn't have, like, he does, she does kind of tell Carl about him, but not, mm. you know, the extent of it. She doesn't seem to tell her boss about it. No. But like, hiding him away as if he's, like, just this secret, horrible Yeah. Thing. And that's what the movie does. It's like, what is Laura Linney's secret? Yeah, she's got this brother? deep, dark secret, and then you and then find out. <gasps> you find out. Oh, my God, no. And he's very stereotypical, like, not looking. Yeah, yeah. Um, scruffy. Imagine if of. he was, like, just as hot as Carl, you know? Yeah, like, I'd he love could that. Be. Yeah. I want him to be. <laughs> That's what I want. What do you think about the part where he goes to hit her and she goes, don't you do that, my guy? Well, okay. So in your experience, if you if you were an institution, you worked there, if a patient becomes violent, what is the protocol? Is it to just kind of like, oh, like kind of go over, try and stop and then to stay, take, go away immediately? You definitely would be closer yeah. to the patient if yeah. that's what he's capable of doing. Yeah. That is not how far away the person would be. Yeah. And again, need to bring Kathy Watson in on this, Michael's mum, who's a mental health mm. nurse and mm-hmm. has actually had experience. Kathy, where this. are you? Come on, Kath. There would be methods in place to prevent that from yeah. happening in the first place. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty inaccurate. But also it would be the least restrictive way. So it would probably just be that dude being closer. Yeah. She obviously is extremely calm. And if he was, like, suicidal before she arrived, mm. they probably would have, you know, taken him somewhere safe, maybe sedated him mm. or given him something to calm his nerves. They would make sure he's not a risk to anyone. Yeah, yeah. One problem I have with that, though, is, again, the stereotype that people with mental illness are violent Mm, when, as we know, Mm. people with mental illnesses, especially schizophrenia, are more likely to Uh, be victims. Repeat it with me. More (laughs) likely to be victims. Victims, But like, Yeah, like, he's already possibly schizophrenic experiencing delusions does he also need to be violent like why why like why even write that in there is it just so we could get her be like don't do that she's very sweet and she's very calm and even on the phone okay is that a good way to talk through someone's delusion do you think question too and we've kind of brought this up with donnie darko Mm, mm. i think she does her best yeah with you know she's not a counselor yeah she's just his sister and she's just trying to keep him calm and just be rational with him yeah i think she does a fine job yeah oh laura (laughs) laura yeah i think um like queens of the movie like emma thompson and laura linney i think laura linney stands up more because Emma Thompson lost some points for the sissy line, but Laura Linney can't falter. Can't she's falter just as a doing her though. best. Yeah. Love it. If I was in that situation, I would answer the phone too, even if Hot Carl was there. Yeah, yeah. But I, I found this note, this um, quote from an article which I'll link to, and I'll just read it quickly because it kind of encapsulates what I think about that. 
We know it's not going to end well for Laura Linney's character, Sarah. She wears frumpy skirts and big jumpers with terrible butterfly brooches. She also doesn't prioritize romance and a man's sexual pleasure above all else. After the office party, she finally gets it on with a long-term crush, Hunky Carl. But Sarah's phone keeps going off and she keeps answering, to be fair, it is a mentally ill brother who literally sounds like he's about to kill himself. I like to think that most guys would get that. They'd be up for rearranging. Heck, maybe they'd even ask some questions, see how they could help. Not Carl, not in love actually. In rom-com land, apparently a man cannot share a woman with another man, even if it is her sick brother. And a woman cannot have her own life or responsibilities. She must at all times be available to service his needs. Back in woolens, Sarah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just like, I read the exact article and she is like, she's just that the frumpy girl in the office who's got this like hopeless Erratic. crush on Carl, but Carl thinks she's hot. So like. She must have something good going on. Yeah, and she's, she's fucking Laura Liddy. Of course she's got, oh my God. <laughs> oh my God, I wish I was Carl. You yeah. Know? I guess lastly, like, in terms of stereotypes, he, he doesn't have a backstory. He no. doesn't have an arc. He doesn't have a narrative of his own. He's just stuck in an institution and he's having a bad time. It's like, it's a big choice to kind of throw someone with like a mental illness of such severity into a movie like this and just have it there as a, I don't know, a Ex- plot device. Exactly. Because like in the reunion, mm. we find out that Carl mm-hmm. and Sarah do not get together. Mm. And she's actually married to, what's his name? Patrick Dempsey. Patrick Dempsey. <laughs> Mick, what's his name? Mick Sexy. Mick Sexy. I've never watched Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> no, neither have I. And they have kids and it's like, well, happy ending. But yeah. what happened to her brother? I know, I no know. No kids. The most at-risk character besides the, like, scary kid. Like, I don't give a shit about what happens to all the other, you know, characters yeah. that aren't suffering quite as much as the brother. What happens mm. to the brother? Yeah, yeah. But apparently no no one would care because he's got a severe I'm just like, illness. why even put this into the movie? I guess you could say that about, like, literally every character. Like, Hugh Grant, why did he need to dance around, like, Downing Street? Because everyone loves a bit of Hugh Grant. Oh, my God. I also- hate Hugh Grant. Oh, my God. <laughs> we haven't really touched on the fact that it's... Sexual harassment. Oh my god! <laughs> and then that Billy, whole plot is Billy, Billy Bob Thornton. Well, okay. Can I just say, Hugh Grant has a press conference with Billy Bob Thornton, and is like, "Fuck America, we're not gonna like be Bent your yeah, you're not gonna bully us." But he's only saying that because Billy Bob Thornton like tried to like kiss Natalie or whatever. But they're both guilty of sexual harassment. Like, mm. it's just, mm. like, he's jealous. He's because, subtle? Yeah, he's... And the foreign policy implications of that press conference, just because he wanted to, like, have sex with Natalie, just... <laughs> could you imagine? I want to see, like, the years following well, Love, actually. He's, he's portrayed in the movie as being, like, a good prime minister. He doesn't seem very good at his job. But he's basically acting with his dick, which yeah. is kind of what Trump does. Yeah. So. <laughs> he's the... <laughs> Hugh Grant is the Trump of the Love, Actually universe. <laughs> Yeah, and also I think because that was the Tony Blair years as well. I think the way because everyone loved Tony Blair, right? I, think I don't they loved know. him better than I don't know Boris enough. Johnson. Yeah, I think it has has a lot to do with um, patriotism and just the way British people. Maybe, I think British people clung to this movie because of the way it portrayed Britain. Yeah, and it's like communal, like happy-go-lucky, like light-hearted you know but a lot of people accuse Britain of being you know very toffee and conservative mm. and I guess love actually doesn't really break that mold apart from the fact that there's some porn <laughs> extras in it yeah but people like it because it's like trying to be a bit Hello. more interesting than that yeah stereotype 
it's cute and like zany. <laughs> <laughs> also, sex working shame is happening in it too when Emma Thompson's like, which doll should we give oh my God. our daughter's friend? A transvestite. One who looks like the transvestite and one that's a dominatrix. But at the same Very time. Very valid and, you know, inappropriate language. But I do like that she's giving her daughter those dolls. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, these are good role models for you. And they are, like, yeah. you know. Um, and Hugh Grant also meets Natalie, uh, walks away and says, that's inconvenient. Like, all right. Women are just like, objects. Also, that there are so distract you. There are so many like hot women. Like his like bitchy assistant who calls Natalie fat. She's hot as fuck. Yeah. Sorry, it's fat too much. But Maz, she's of color. So of yeah, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. She's just there to be like. God, there's so many horrible tropes in this so movie. Like, I didn't realize. Just like the um the notes I took on this movie, I'd love to like upload somewhere. But look, every there's so many articles that have been written that just say the exact same thing. Mm. We're finally coming to a point in history when people are deciding they don't actually like love actually, which is great. What do you think? Um, and I'm sure we will ruin this movie for a lot of people if they listen to this. Like, I know a lot of people that love this movie. Oh. It's, a, it's a Hollywood f- but it's 2020. holiday favourite. It's 2020. Like, you have to be open to people hating love, actually. Like, get over it. <laughs> the stalking. The stalking. The stalking. The freaky kid. So, just to summarise, in the last kind of category, we, you know, ask, is it helpful or harmful? <laughs> I think we can safely say it's harmful. Yeah. Um, is there any ways this movie is helpful in its portrayals of illness, <laughs> all the other things that we talked about? I do like the f- stepfather-son relationship. It is I very think cute. it is sweet. It's one of the only kind of like healthy-ish relationships I think we see. Don't think you should be encouraging infatuation with Joanna, but um, the way they discuss their emotions I think is really sweet. Um, yeah, I agree. We haven't even talked about Alan Rickman cheating on Emma Thompson. Mm. One, but leave that to another day. Um, <laughs> a whole episode. Yeah. <laughs> but other than that, I'm not really sure if there is any helpful. Nah. I guess one thing is, like, you know, between Colin Firth and hot French lady. What's helpful about Wait, that? Is she French? Oh, no, just She's the fact Portuguese. that... Portuguese. Oh, my God, sorry. You know, the fact that she learns a language for him and he learns a language for her and, like, they are, they are um, crossing cultural barriers to find each other. Mm. Okay, okay. He okay. also stalks her. Like, <laughs> God, he shows up to her family home. <laughs> Doesn't... Like, he obviously finds out where she lives. Doesn't think to, like, look up a phone number. Yeah, or, or... just, like, call her and be like, hey, you're going to be home this night. And she's not. <laughs> she's at work. Like, let women work, please. That's... No, no. They have to be married. They cannot work. Married or just be interrupted by men constantly at work. Yes. But just the scenes of them, like, talking to each other in different languages plays really lovely on camera. But it's just, like, I was, like, picturing myself in that situation being, like... It looks like agony. <laughs> I would hate it so much. I can't. Like, also, he's, while he's in France, can't he just, like, learn some Portuguese phrases? Like, I know the internet's not really a big thing, but, like, go to the library. Like, yeah. That's a very, like, ethnocentric thing. Like, Americans not yeah, they can't. to learn just some basic phrases. Not even just American, I think. Like, even in Australia, like, yeah. whenever I've gone overseas, I haven't even thought to, like, maybe I should learn some Korean phrases. I'm like, so white. It's really sad. 
I I guess one helpful thing in terms of the Laura Linney plot is I think she's a very loving sister to her brother. Yeah. She obviously tries to support him everywhere she can. She probably does a bit, you know, she needs some boundaries, mm-hmm, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I like how she calls him babe, too. Oh, so, and the way she, my darling, oh, my darling, my darling, darling. And then when she's like, hey, babe, how's it going? It's yeah. like she doesn't talk down to him. No, no. She's very sweet. She's very patient. She is a good character. She just doesn't get what she deserves. No. Hot Coral. And neither does her brother. No. But um, in terms of harmful, there's hiding away mental illness, so much negativity about the burden a person with a mental illness has. She doesn't deserve to be happy because of her brother with mental illness. She doesn't deserve to have sex, get her rocks off. And him not having any agency or or his own story. No, no. He's a throwaway character. Which is irresponsible because it's not something that should be thrown away. No. He just doesn't have as much value as the other characters. No. According to Richie Curse. And, like, even when Hugh Grant goes to see Natalie's family, or, like, knocks on, stalks Natalie, <laughs> um, I feel like her family, when she comes down, she's like, where the fuck is my fucking coat? Which is really funny, actually. I can imagine you saying Yeah. That. Oh, and I do. Um, even, th- like, they have more lines than her brother. <laughs> like, and she introduces, like, every member of her family to Hugh Grant and to the audience. But do we even know Laura Linney's brother's name? Fuck. I don't know. <laughs> I think it I think I did come across it. Oh, that's that's on me too. <laughs> no, actually I looked up I looked up the um script and he's in there as Sarah's brother. <laughs> so case in point. There you go. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we kind of wrap it up? The little kid calls Joanna Heaven, which I don't like. Um, She's heaven, yeah. he says. I don't want anyone to call me heaven. Colin Firth says the word spaz. And I used to get called spazzy mazzy when I was young. Really? Yeah. I won't name and shame who, but... uh, That's pretty awful. (laughs) There's some real ableist language in this movie. And it's obviously because I have ADHD and... (laughs) Anyway. um, (laughs) Mr. Bean... Oh, everyone. Cancel Mr. Bean, please. Um, He has a drawer full of dried flowers. He's a psychopath. (laughs) (laughs) Is there actually a reason to cancel Mr. Bean? No. Okay. (laughs) Let's not make some sweeping claims. It's just his role in this movie. I hate him so much. (laughs) Uncle Jamie doesn't leave the presents when he, like. (laughs) I hate Uncle Jamie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, why doesn't he leave the presents? He, like, comes to the house. Like, I'm with the kids. I hate Uncle Jamie, too. And also, like,. He's okay. He's he's writing his book outside, like with the typewriter, <laughs> and then all the pages go in the like lake because uh, what's her name for an author? Aurelia. Aurelia, yeah. Like picks up his little like I don't know, thing that he's holding oh, it no. down with. Um, that's on Colin Firth. <laughs> like, excuse me, but she's hot, so it's fine. For a writer, though, like you should know better. And Richard Curtis is. Right. Yeah, like, so are come we on, make so it a little bit more realistic. We are to assume that that's how Richard Curtis writes his <laughs> screenplays, and that's why they're so bad because there's so many little plot holes in this movie. <laughs> I think that's about it. I could talk about it all day, honestly. Well, I guess in terms of our final rating, whether it's <laughs> got any lived experience of problematic things oh. that we've talked about. 
um, accurate, stereotypical, and harmful. I'm giving it zero. Same. <laughs> Minus one, if if not. Like, yeah. it. unfortunately, I still really enjoy watching it um, because it's – I love watching terrible movies. Um, it's just – That everyone loves, really. You yeah. can just zone out. Yeah. I hate it. <laughs> But I. But I'll probably put it on on Christmas Eve. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've watched it this year, so not again. But um, yeah, I'd give it a good zero. Yeah. A good zero. Well, um, I'll end on this quote that I found by Richard Curtis, um, which was talking about. I'll I'll link you to it. He's talking about the death of his sister, um, and he says, "I suddenly feel, particularly with this young generation, that they understand that mental illness it isn't the same as physical illness, but it is as complicated as in need of work progress care than ever before." I think it will be one of the huge things in the next 10, ten years. I don't know what that means because it's always been there. But anyway, <laughs> I'll, I'll continue. I think the answer is to continue to focus on it so that it does become a priority and we gain ex- expertise and get more resources. If we are more open as a society, it will help people who are struggling to feel able to seek help without fear of being judged. The earlier they seek that help, the more chance there is that they will get effective help rather than descending into a crisis that is harder to recover from. And Richard, I agree. And I implore you to make better movies that actually focus on mental illness. Use your privilege, your your profile and your bucks to do what you want to happen. You have the power. Richard. Truly. Like, like, if that's how you feel, like, well, what? Do better. What are you fucking doing? <laughs> like, he made, like, the boat that rocked. Like, that. Oh, Yeah. That's our next uh, tune in next week for the boat that rocks. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's he said that, but then just continued to be the worst. So yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, oh my god, we actually like made this succinct. Thank you so much for tuning in. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Hopefully, you'll hear me soon. Yeah, I'm keen to do more episodes. Yeah, you. me too. Me too. Um, it's been so much fun. Hopefully, we can do more face-to-face now that COVID's yeah. hopefully less of a thing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, thank you very much for listening to Psycho Cinematic. You have Steph here and Maz. Bye-bye. Thank you, Maz. Thank you. Um, Thanks. <laughs> Sorry. Stop. <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe if you like this podcast. Check out our Instagram, uh, Psycho Cinematic Podcast. And our Gmail address, cinematicpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, let us know if you have any feedback. Happy Christmas. Merry Christmas. See you later.